Welcome to What's Left in Albany. This program covers the built environment, politics, and people of Albany, as well as the surrounding Tri-City area and region, featuring discussions with leaders of communities or organizations to discuss themselves, local issues, and their projects in an effort to get the full picture of what's going on. I'm Dan Platt, your friendly neighborhood leftist, promoting the build-out of a solidarity economy and delegative democracy, waging a one-man insurgency against confusion in our status quo, as we cannot hope to change our conditions until we understand them. Whatever the outrages or joys we have for the city, we are going to find whatever's left. And I have now a guest here in the studio with me, Scott Townsend, architect. How are you doing? I'm fine, Dan. Why don't you start with a general rundown? I'm going to give you the floor because I'm going to get the door. Explain yourself. Explain you are here to represent the Albany Waterfront Collaborative. Talk about how collaborative you are. Talk about what is, and generally, um, my deeper question was, what were the circumstances that led to you forming this effort about two years ago now, or a year and a half? I I have to admit that's actually a great question because it will give you plenty of time to go get the door, Dan. Um, My name is Scott Townsend. I'm uh, I'm with the Albany Riverfront uh, Riverfront Collaborative. there's many of us involved in the process, but what that process is and what the project is, is really looking at the city of Albany and looking at what has been here for so long that really needs to change. Uh, as Dan said, I, I, I am an architect. I do some planning, and uh, I am worked here in Albany for over a quarter of a century, which is amazing, actually, and I lived uh, – where we're broadcasting from is right on Grand Street and uh, uh, Madison, and I actually owned some property right nearby uh, a couple decades ago. And at that time, there's a lot of issues that need to be worked on, and I'm very sensitive to that. Probably about ten, oh, about 12 years ago now, uh, a group of us, which was uh, a fellow who was the head of the planning, uh, people from DOT, people from CDTC, I know those are an acronyms, but that those are people that are in charge of all the highways and everything in the in the budgets that go along with it. Uh, and there was many other people that got involved. And we looked at doing, getting rid of 787 and really reconnecting us to the river, reconnecting the communities. But at that time, that was right when the Great Recession hit. And we were starting to get momentum. We were starting to talk to some people. And we realized that it just it wasn't real at that time. You were part of the first effort back in the aughts, were you? I was. Okay. 
Um, was it in tandem with the plans for the convention center? Uh, no, actually not. The convention center, which is now, as there's a history of the convention center with me personally, but uh, the, right now the convention center was originally supposed to go down in the uh, what is now the parking lot district, and I know a lot of people know that. Uh, and then they moved it up, uh, up, up uh, State Street and on Eagle Street. And unfortunately, what they did is they bought up a bunch of property and then uh, uh, vacated it because the state didn't were basically not landlords. So they would buy all these things, vacate them, and then we end up having what is basically not only a an area that right now is pretty pretty lifeless, let's face it. Uh, at the time, and I'll give you a little personal history, and I think this would help a little bit, is that I started my firm and I moved down by where the convention center was supposed to be originally, uh, which is on uh, Broadway, and we were right down there. I moved in, they were talking about the convention center, and that's when they started vacating everything. We all loved it when we moved in in 2006. There was about 10 of us that were working at the office and we had probably 12 to 15 restaurants we could go to for lunch. It was thriving. There was stuff going on down in the neighborhoods and Broadway and State and in, in that area. And then uh, once they pulled, you know, they started buying the property and vacating it. Then they put it up on Eagle Street. By the time we left, there was maybe two or three restaurants. And that was only within a 10, 12-year period. Which time period would, that, would you say that would be? The 90s or the aughts? That was the aughts. That was uh, anywhere from 2006 to about 2015 that all transpired. It went from, let's say, 12 to 15 restaurants Basically, to two or three. recession years. So we have been joined by former council president, Gareth Bothlin, who is a member of the Collaborative ISO. Okay, working at the technical kinks. We don't usually have more than one guest. Let me read that up. Okay, so since your time, I was told you have limited time. Um, Oh, ooh, yes. I heard myself that time. No, I'm happy to be here and be a part of this conversation. So um, why don't you give out further, delve into your part that you're playing, what got you involved, your take on the principles um, listed out in the collaboratives charter, which I could read out over <laughs> as I go. Th I could go through them later, I suppose. But let me get my we out. But just, uh, just well, talk about... Um, you know, as a, I should say, as, first of all, as a native of Albany um, and as a native of a community that um, was actually cut off by 787, um, I grew up in this community, um, not walking distance from right here where we sit right mm -hmm. now. I've spent a lot of time in this community, spent a lot of time on Grand Street, Phillips Street, Elm Street. Um, and at the present time, I probably live less than a half a mile from here. So I have seen this community come and go. Um, and now I'm looking forward to it coming back. And I see this community collaborative as just one piece in the comeback of this community. And so I'm, I'm just happy, since I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna insert myself. I'm gonna fit in where I get in where I fit in. And I believe that it is important to continue to be a voice for the voiceless. Because the reason we're sitting here right now is because there is a community that is missing out on this conversation. 
And I believe that, you know, as an elected official, as a resident of the South End, as a res as someone who has experienced life in this community for the last 30 years, most recently, but because I did grow up in this community, but I lived away for 10 years and I've been back for over 30 years now. And I believe that it is important to stay um, in the way, to stay um, at the table, um, giving voice um, to what is being presented to us. Because what is there's a saying that's out there now, not about us, without us. About us, yeah. So um, I'm part of that, making sure that, that I do remember that slogan. That you know, we're, we're in it. That's that's why I'm here. Um, what do you think of the process so far with the uh, the meeting a few weeks ago? Was it? Yeah, the the and, meeting at the and the, the overall structure of how the DOT yeah. is going about this. Well, I think DOT could use a little help. I'm just going to say it. I think they have wonderful information that I tell you once if people get the opportunity to see what is being discussed and has been discussed for the last several years, I think they would get excited. But I do also want you to be un to understand this is a community and the, and the one that I'm talking about is that right now on the African-American, the black and brown community that's being sort of left out of the conversation. And I think. And, and I'm not blaming them. I'm not saying that, uh, that they're not interested. But, you know, there's been a lot of pulpits. There's been a lot of podiums. But we have seen nothing. And that's what they will tell you. So, uh, and so they're hesitant to show up. I really can't blame them. But it's my job to be there. And I'm going to be there. Um, not just because it's my job, but because I live in this community. And I believe that it is important to share all the information. Knowledge is power. And that is what is missing right here. People don't understand the value of their power by getting access to this information. Because if you're gonna be a part of this community and the transformation of what's gonna to continue to take place here all along the riverfront, as it relates to um, 787, you gotta be in the room. Bring your own chair if you have to. Set up your own table if you have to. But you gotta be a part of the conversation and ask questions. Sometimes I think people are intimidated process. DOT has these big flashy posters, you know, little stickies, put this on here and all that. And I think, um, and you see everybody in like the suits. And sometimes people are intimidated by that. By that. You got to come to the people where they live. If you got this, I know they had water. I would say the staff looked all, looked intimidated being there and because they uh i don't know they're, they're not locals so to speak and they seem to when, when i asked them anything specific they really didn't they were just oh we're just getting started it's like we haven't actually done any of the work yet mm. and so they didn't really have too much to say uh, well, I know, well, Scott, that, that, that's just my input yeah and i i'm inclined to agree with you but scott has been trying to get this message out Pat Fahey's assemblywoman mm -hmm. has been talking about this for three or four years now. So it's not new, but it's still that, 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 that one marker, that tagline that is grabbing people. We haven't found it yet. Yeah. So we need to find that tagline. Wouldn't yeah. you say, Scott? I, yeah, I would agree. And, and I'm going to go back to Dan's point, which is it's a wonderful point. And I think there's a, there's a whole level of discomfort that's going on on both sides. 
there's a lack of trust on one side and a lack of knowledge and awareness because people aren't really connecting on what it is they're trying to do and where they're at. And on the flip side, you know, when you look at it from the DOT standpoint, I think Dan pointed out pretty well, they're, they're not quite sure what to do because the one thing I think that's wonderful that is happening now that we didn't see years past is there's an attempt to try to connect. The rhetoric is right, but the connection's not quite there. And quite frankly, they've been asking us to help with that. And Carolyn, you've been helping out, and a lot of people will be helping out. So I, I do think it's not a matter of, how should I say this? It's just a matter of getting comfortable. And, so, but, but, but what are we, who, who has to be made comfortable? Now, oh, yeah. I, the first thing is, if you're bringing me a message, you shouldn't be and the, and the message is we don't we we don't really know what we want to do, and we kind of kind of have a kind of body language like we don't really want to be here. We don't really mm -hmm. want to do anything. But I, I wanted to ask a bigger catalyst question of a few years ago, let's say Biden's election. Did this trigger mm -hmm. the change of policy at the DOT level, at least rhetorically speaking? That oh, we're actually you know the the removal of disused or underused highways in urban areas is now at least stated as a policy of the national DOT. Yep. And that's why there will be some funds made available somewhere in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And that's why now the DOT is kind of off their butt about even doing this process, even yep. after previous efforts that yep. pretty much did a majority of the work. And I see this over and over, not just in urban planning sectors, but even just community garden areas. Again. Yeah. I think I think it's important for the audience to know that there's this is not isolated here. This is a national movement, and there's been places where it's already been done. It's been done well. Yeah. A friend of mine said recently that anywhere where they remove the highway, it's never been a bad thing. And I think it's a simple statement to make that yeah. we have to realize it's good. It's good for the people living there that it, there, there's always issues of generational wealth, and actually, um, and what. We need to do is is realize that there's been a lot of good precedents, and I think going back to your question, Dan, is at the federal level there's definitely the correct intention. There's no doubt about it. But we all know they're big behemoths. These these agencies and everything. And it's one thing to have someone say something from a podium, which we don't want, the right words. How does it get down to the community so you actually co-create in the community, which is what we're after. We're after getting all that money to go down into the community so the communities can lead this energy and this effort. And the thing is, everything has gotten so disconnected and so big and cumbersome. How do you do that? And that's where I was talking about where the discomfort is. And I agree with you, Carolyn, that it's got to be done down in the communities. And people have got to got to start listening. And that's the one thing that the DOT and these agencies are, and nothing against them. They're all good people. It's you that know, they're not I, used to listening. If, not I, used to, if I, I could um, expand, and, and then and you can go first, Kevin. Mm -hmm. my, my question that I was going to save even for later, but perfect segue. The general take of expertise, the professionals like Scott, like even myself count. I'm not paid as a professional, but I am a state bureaucrat now. But this goes for professionals in the private sector and bureaucrats in the public sector who are also some type of professional. You, you need a college degree to even start getting on those, take those tests. What is your take on the relationship between expertise like that and democracy, whether it be participatory or representative? I think, that tension, you know? Yeah, there is a tension there. 
But I think you have to, if you have gone to, like you said, got a college degree to go to be in certain places so that you can get information. But I believe that you have to, and myself, I have to recognize that everybody doesn't have the level of education that I have. Everybody doesn't have the level of professional experience that I have. So when I go into a room, I got to know who I'm talking to and provide them with the same level of respect no matter what room I'm in, but also share information um, at the level where people are. That's showing respect for folks. I'm not talking about talking down to people, but I'm talking about sharing information at a level that they can maximize the use of it and then they can go home feeling like they were a part of something big because this is a part about being part of something big. Um, and, and I think maybe sometimes if you're not used to, think about it. You come down to, I'm on Grand Street. I grew up two blocks from here. Sure. But everybody, there are people who need a roadmap, need GPS to get down here. And even then, they're hesitant. Lost in some way. Lost and physically and emotionally. They're lost. You know, it, it's a little scary. So, and, you know, I... If I'm going someplace foreign, I'm a little hesitant myself because I go into other cities. I have to be careful. I, I understand all that. But I'm just saying, know who you're speaking to. We've all been taught when any public speaking, know your audience. So DLT needs to know their audience. They go they are going up and down the river. Yeah, that's that's where that's where it kind of got the panel said one story. But some panels kind of made it uh, seem like, well, one panel basically said our audience are drivers. You know, what, where, where, where can we make the traffic flow better? Mm -hmm. um, now, that was just one panel, while there was three others that had social justice on as, as a catch buzzword. My, I do have a follow-up based on this, but my question, um, Scott, was um, what's your take on the tension between professionals like yourself, like bureaucrats at the DOT, and not the people, but democracy, whether it be participatory or representative? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's going to be different for everybody. We do have to remember we're all individuals and where they're coming from, what your backgrounds are, uh, and, and where your comfort levels are. The one thing I always look at is I did a diagram recently when we were doing a talk, and, and if you look at a tree, just bear with me for sure. one second. Okay. Trees yeah. make great diagrams. Aren't they great? Yeah, everybody can visualize a tree, but so you got these big canopy up top, and then you got this this trunk going down, and then it goes below grade, and then you got the root systems that's as big as the canopy. And so what ends up happening, though, nature has a wonderful way of communicating and helping itself, and it grows and it stays healthy. But when you do that in a society, and you think of the trunk as the connection of communication, as human beings, we always screw it up. Nature is good with it, but we always, if there's a disconnect between the root system and the, the canopy, there's something that's going to break down there, whether it's psychological and mind and trust and everything, or if it's just poor word choices or whatever it may be. And all I'm saying is we got to get rid of the trunk and kind of put the root and the canopy together, and then we can all talk at the same level. And it's not somebody on top, somebody on bottom. We're all part of the whole same thing. So... As far as attention is concerned, we just got to listen. And and like uh, Carolyn was alluding to, and I totally agree with her, is that they have to be in the community. The people that have the power have to give the power away. 
And where they do that is basically in the community with them with respect. And, and when you talk about the tree, it's what you don't see that is really the basis of you going to be the basis of the roots success. are actually pretty shallow in the dirt. Not they don't and, actually go deep. Well, it depends on what neighborhood you get. But now the roots in certain neighborhoods, I'm just getting from what I see, they're coming up out of the ground. I think they're crying out to be heard. The roots are crying out to be heard. You go in certain neighborhoods, I'm telling you, the roots have taken over mm-hmm. the sidewalks. So if you, since you brought up the roots, the, the trees, I'm just going to tell you that. So, I'm, and I'm going to look at it figuratively. Not sure how good this metaphor is working now. Yeah. But go, and it's, so I'm trying to tell you uh, the roots. I'm, a, I, I'm part of the roots of this community. There are people that are part of the roots of this community. They're crying out to be heard. So help me get them in the room. So I'm pleased that there's going to be a meeting next week in the community in the South End. So what do we do? It's a week from tomorrow. Right. So what do we do to get the people out? What's going to take place in the next five, six days to let people know that we need you there? I'm going to tell you right now, I want you to bring some food. I want you to bring some water, something to drink so that people can sit there and know that I'm going over here. I'm going to have a meal, but I'm also going to learn something. I'm going to contribute something to the conversation. We need your voice. This is the voice. um, This uh, 107.3. You call yourself the voice. So we need the voice of the people to come to Albany Housing Authority on July 19th from 530 to 730. 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock. To learn and to share, because the moniker social justice, you know, what does that mean to people? What does it mean? Environmental justice. To me, it means full, a more fuller particip- uh, participation. Um, so my follow-up, which is more of a explanation but, for myself. But, but what I'm saying is, if we're true to that, if we're true to that label that's yes. on that poster, yes, social justice. then we've got to do what it takes to make sure the people, because when people think of justice, mm-hmm. that they, they, they believe you got to treat me right. That's yeah. what people are seeing with that. We And so when you make these decisions out in the community, these economic development decisions, um, you have to make them from a point of equity. And that point of equity includes that whole social justice perspective that people are looking for. Take it, hit me, show me where it's, Make me feel it, that I'm a part of it. I, I wish that I personally had more time to go and knock on doors and hand down information in the next week. That's you DLT. feel that way about everything, and, and D- you burn out real quick. Yes, and DLT real. needs to listen. We're saying do this. But they, they're uh, actually paid, so. I I do want to add in for DOT, is yeah. it, like we were talking about the, the discomfort and trying to connect and everything. They're trying really hard to connect. And I have to admit, they've been very good about reaching out to um, uh, Assembly Member Pat Fahey's office to connect. They've been reaching out to our organization and all members of the organization as best they can. Right. You know, and, it's more and than just the work. downtown neighborhoods as far as its effect, but obviously physically those are the prime stakeholders, as they say. Um, but yeah. I want to get to, this is more my side of it, uh, just you know, to react that there's a hierarchy of participation where you can have a meeting where it's informational and you can say the right things and, and, and people can come away informed, but that's not empowerment. But then there's also a consultive, which is usually what these meetings, some 
firms, some consulting firms brought in for a community project the city, the city has brought in. They're, they, they, they're a bit more collaborative with their consultive. You know, like the, I think I feel like the best these meetings can do is allow people to feel that they're consulting the experts, but it's not co-creating, as, as you said. What do you think they would need to do or what should be done to ensure that, at least with the downtown neighborhoods, that there's a co-creation process so that we avoid, and I'm going to just expand, that we don't have a reactionary tone or milieu or environment where, well, yes, we can gain access to the waterfront, but it's going to raise property values to the point where this uh, the downtown neighborhoods get gentrified and no one but uh, tech workers can live there. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. There's two parts to it, and I'll take the, late, the latter part first, which is about you know, uh, displacement. We don't want anybody displaced that doesn't want to be displaced. We want them to not only be where they are and be their community and create, but also want them to gain wealth from their community and, and actually be there and benefit. You know, the rising tides floats all boats. You know, it sounds good, but how do you get there? And there's things like community benefit agreements that most people don't know. If you're out there, Google it. But community benefit agreements are set up in cities and towns so that anybody coming in to do any kind of development has to do things for the community, in the community, keep people in place and everything. So we need to work hard on those. Um, I think the other thing that was the first part of your question. I think it's just missing that by the community. The, the, the first part of your question is, and I want to get, this is kind of to the heart of it. Um, what we're talking about is people. We're all talking about people. We're talking about involvement. We're talking about hearing and listening. Those are all human activities. But right now, this is a DOT project. This is, they're talking about multimodal. So what they're talking about is transportation. They're talking about automobiles. They're talking about buses. Talk, and we have a train issue that we haven't brought up. Mm -hmm. So those are all issues that are not human. They're not heart-based things. So there's a community design. This is really a community design project that needs to accommodate transportation. And the way they're doing it in Syracuse at I-81, we gotta know this, is that the city actually hired a gentleman who I know and I've been on a couple panels with, he's a brilliant guy and passionate guy, he used to be a, a formal council member. Then the city hired him to oversee this process. And so what they've done is they paralleled with DOT, they hired him and groups from outside to actually do the community design in conjunction with DOT, which is a missing piece right now that we need to realize that should start coming on board sometime. That, that's, that's an exciting um, concept. And I hope that DOT is looking at their past experience mm -hmm. um, and will soon bring that um, to all of it. What kind of things are the, uh, the that council person doing? He, well, he's hired by the city but they've hired outside consultants that are national consultants yeah. that the same know how way to do community this, design. This, feasibility. this is still just the feasibility study, right? Oh, no, it is the full plan. I, yeah, I want to clarify, and this is good for the audience to know of and course. for everybody here to know. They did a study that's referred to back in 2018. It was done by CDTC, which is Capital District Transportation Committee. Now uh, council. Council, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> they changed their name recently, I just noticed. Um, so uh, they did that study, and it was about, I may get the number wrong, but it was about $300,000, okay? That study, that was a study that was an analysis of what shape it's in, what it could do. And it was all these what it could do, what it could be, what it I would I think need. I went to such a meeting, and they basically, I'm 
could be misremembered, but my my uh, I got a re- the strong impression I got the memory is we're not going to touch this for thirty years. But anyway, go on. I'm I'm going to tell you where the fine print is and some of the things that they I know they didn't want to say, but they sure. could have said. No, I, I also got that too because they were. Um, or maybe it was just a, no, what no, and the different meeting was about the living snap and the bridge, but oh, no. go on. That's. But the thing, and this is, I want to step back. So that was three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That was an analysis and a feasibility study. Mm-hmm. This is. $5.3 million. That's 17. I'm doing math quickly, about 17 times. Designs are going to come out of this. I'm not going to say a final design, but there's going to be design options, feedback, community input uh, on all these things. So this is much bigger, and this is much more serious, like we talked about at the very beginning of this, about how the political uh, will is much different than it has ever been. And now is the time for people to enter and insert themselves, not five years from now. And people say, well, when did that happen? Well, back in July of 2023, we invited you to a meeting or two or three. Um, And that happens a lot. And, And this has happened a lot in this community. And we can't let it, this is another opportunity for us to correct that wrong. Um, So I'm excited um, to be a part of whatever DOT wants to bring information-wise down um, into our community to share. Um, because I might not be the one benefiting from um, and seeing this change, but I have nieces and nephews. You know, I'm part of four generations in this city. And, and, and I believe that, you know, there will be another fifth generation of, of my family that will get the benefit of this. I want them to be informed. And I tell you, there's a group, this Gen Z group that's out here now operating. Those are the voices. Those are the people we need to get to with this information. And I think that's throwing out some information here and an opportunity here. I believe that that's a cohort of individuals that need to get this information so that they can feed into it and have an impact on what decisions are going to be ultimately made um, by DOT. I don't have a follow-up on that. Oh, you know, out of left field, um, what did you think of the process for redesigning the Lincoln Park pool? This is just on the topic of public inputs. Well, there there were several opportunities over a couple years. Now, it didn't help that COVID hit in there, Mm -hmm. Um, in the middle of that process. But there were opportunities in multiple locations for people to provide input to that. And I believe that ultimately um, uh, people were satisfied with that. And even if you look at the basketball court Mm -hmm. that's right there at Uh, uh, at the um, South, no. Eagle Street. Yes, at the Eagle um, side. um, uh, and, And the process of the design for that they could get some lessons from that. People were brought front and center to the space and asked, how many courts do you want? Where do you want the playground to go? I mean, so, and, and people came. This was going to be your park. This is going to be your basketball court. Um, this is going to be your pool. So is this going to be my new highway? Is this going to be my new entrance into the city, into the city of Albany? or around the city of Albany yeah. again. 
So you got to make it. A part Is it of going you. to remain a uh, a noose around our city? That's that's what I call our highway network, a noose around our city. We could at very least lessen the lessen the choke on it. You know, I'm very much uh, a proponent of a Ghent style transportation plan where we kind of force tra- car traffic that goes. It, it puts a limit on how much intercity driving you can really do by putting all car traffic to the edges so that the only driving that really is mostly happening is people coming in and out. And that stays on the edge um, and not going through and hitting our kids and cracking up our roads over and over again so fast that as soon as we repave them, I'm still I'm breaking my bike tires on them a year later. Do you, um, you're time limited, so but, but, I'll give you some final words. But though, just with the comment that you just made, I just heard on the news yesterday that some new roundabout is being built somewhere. I don't know. It might have somewhere in the county. You mean? I think or, it had something to do with Crossgates. I don't know. Uh-huh. But again, oh, oh, you're right. You know, you're right. Yesterday that. there was some announcement. So it's in preparation for the Costco, the great Costco that will solve all of Gilbert's problems. But again, taking people into Costco or whatever um, entity up there where they can spend money and then getting them right back on the road and going right back up the highway. That is, I think, when when the Empire State Plaza was built and I grew up on Phillips Street, I watched it, heard it, lived through that experience. People, the 60,000 people that swell the city of Albany every day, it was made convenient for them to get here. That's why we have the design that we have right now. Mm-hmm. You can, you don't have to see what's going on in the neighborhoods around where you're working because you have chosen not to live there. So I'm going to give you the best route in and the best route out. And by doing that, you have impacted, negatively impacted the economy of this particular neighborhood. So I'm looking forward, this will be my closing words, that this project will correct that wrong and show people the beauty of all parts of Albany, not just certain sections and just, you know, skirt around it. Because I think myself, when I bring people come to visit, I get on 787 and I had a friend say to me, well, what's over there? You know, why you keep getting on the hot? What, what's over there? Yeah. What's down? Take me down in the neighborhood. This will take me down in the neighborhood. Yes, it will. It's great to have you here, by the way. Uh, thank you. You have a wonderful voice. Uh, thank you thank for you. the invitation. I appreciate it. Scott, thank you, Caroline. You're doing a great job, and I look forward to um, continuing to work with you. And whatever I can do to help DOT um, expand their knowledge of how to... to um, get into the community, how to build trust between DOT and the community, how to take away that tension that was mentioned earlier. I'm, I'm here. I'm all for it. Great. And we know you are. You've been great representative for years and years in Albany. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. And you're currently county legislature, right? Yes, I am. Albany County Legislature yes. representing district. I'd remind one. myself uh, when you start talking. I'm like, wait, that's right. She is still yeah, I've been, I've been around a while, and I'm, I'm going to stay around a while as long oh, yeah. as I'm able to. You definitely to. have the energy still. Yes. Yeah. We All need right. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Man. So, now you're in the hot seats, Scott. Um, 
another topic to explore, but certainly connected to the 787 redesign slash de-paving. I did not get to listen to the... Um, so in the past, on this program, I covered at least the beginning of the feasibility study for the Albany Parking Authority and one of their garages facing 787. Uh, what were the results? Did you get to watch or listen to the results of that feasibility study? It was part of a Zoom meeting I didn't have access to. Yeah, I, I did. I can't do it justice in a short amount of time, so I'll, I'll give a, a real... A summary, of course. A summary, yeah. What they did is they hired a very good consultant who came in and did an analysis. Um, and just to be specific for everybody, it's the one behind uh, Union Station, uh, yeah. the parking garage. Karenin Plaza, which has now been bought by Redburn. Yes. And uh, so a million dollars. I'll that, keep going. Yep. That parking garage, uh, that parking garage, according to, you know, when they first built it, is at the end of its life cycle. And so the consultant was asked to be brought in and the intention was what can we do with this parcel that is better for the city and still can accommodate whatever parking we deem it to need you know which it sounds like there's no preconceived notions uh we had done a study for somebody and looked at it and we were looking at making it mixed use and facing it to the river and actually having some parking in there but it was buried in mid-block which is a very good right. planning the usual design. yeah and uh so we looked at that, but it's not about us. Uh, they did a very good job of looking at what it would be to repair it, you know, do it in kind to just simply replace, you know, what it would have to do to repair it. And if you were to basically tear it down and reimagine it. And, and basically the conclusions were uh, it's, it's better to keep it in place as it is right now and maintain it because the economy of Albany, which we all know is struggling with some of the office buildings and everything and their, their square footage rents, mm -hmm. uh, they know that there is... A, and hybrid uh, working. Yeah. And so right now they're looking at going, there's going to be a, a, a time in the future where the economy will allow it to do the thing that's right for the city. They just know it's not that time. So, yeah. Especially as parking needs are probably going to decrease over time, with not only with hybrid offices, office uh, work. Correct. I was really thankful I caught one, a past uh, presentation by the executive of the parking authority and talking about how, like, COVID really hit them hard. It was just like there was just half as many people parking. And they uh, – but he used a phrase that keeps – I love bringing up that, you know, that they do see themselves as competing with private garages and other lots, especially as there's now less demand for it, or at least less need, and uh, a little less. And so he, like, like what, what can we offer? We need to offer a better parking experience, uh, and thus why they, the murals and uh, putting actual seating between in alleyways between garages, which, which to me is sort of a... A, I don't like it because there's so many good alleys and streets in Albany, main streets even, that don't have seating and art on them because I guess it's assumed it would be pushed over by uh, lumpens. Well, but anyway, we've been, we've been joined by the lovely Eva Bass. Uh, get real close. Another uh, member of the collaborative, I suppose, or just a, a community um, stakeholder, as it were. Um, yes, I am a member of the collaborative mm -hmm. and a stakeholder and an advocate. All right. Um, so what did you – we've covered informational questions, so I'll just go with um, your takes. 
What did you think of the meeting, uh, the first meeting at the arena? Mm-hmm. And we'll just start there. Um, the first meeting at the arena. General impressions and what happened. Definitely lacking community, um, the direct community, especially the South End, North Albany. Um, so I saw a lot of room for improvement with outreach and engagement, which I hope to see. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I don't. I don't have a well, follow up, but. Uh, I'll fill in a little bit of a void here. I know uh, when Carolyn was sitting here, uh, we mentioned that there's a meeting a uh, week from tomorrow. Yes. I just want to just... And that's at least actually in, you know, on South Pearl. So it is u- at the usual meeting place. Okay. Although my, my comment on, like, why don't more Gen Z people show up, there, there really needs to be a consistency. If people actually know that there's, like, a usual public interest meeting, like, once a month or something, and... Maybe it's a it's a crab bag of what it's going to be about, but at least if it's there and you know it's there, instead of just a random weekday, randomly, will it be at six, six thirty, five thirty? Well, I got a job, blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that Carolyn mentioned, and, and I agree with her, bring food, bring water. It'd be nice to have daycare services. It would actually be nice to pay yes. people that their stipends uh, if you can do that. I, I agree with you, Dan. That's an interesting point where if they had regular meetings, then it could be broadcast that so everyone would know. And, hey, I can't make it this Wednesday, but I can in two weeks. It's an interesting concept that I'm sure DOT might be interested in. Any any volunteering org or, or, or you know activism that I've been a part of had regular meetings that are visible, accessible. Now, of course, it takes a lot of people with a lot of energy, and there's a lot of potential for burnout if there isn't some resources, a.k.a. money uh, structure there mm. to ensure that it keeps going, you know, beyond an occupying campus. Can I ask Eva a question? Yeah. Eva, how about if they did it at your uh, your markets that you have the on Thursdays? The night market. So actually... Which is your main project right now? Is that, is that, is that accurate? Um, I wouldn't say our main project. Um, all of our projects are our main project, amplifying the voices of the community um, and advocating for, you know, the needs of the underserved. Um, it's very important within all of our um, platforms, which is the South End Night Market, Innovation Blocks, and our Voices of a Village. Um, and, of course, our many... Can you give a rundown of each of those? Or yeah. we could save it until, like, I have you on separately, but... Oh, I don't know. I can give you a quick rundown, but I can answer the first question um, because this Thursday, um, July 13th, um, we will be having um, community input for 787, um, and they will be tabling, um, but also we will be conducting a conversation. Um, Our goal is to continue to have these opportunities um, and allow community members to come not only enjoy the market, but also get information and education, um, sitting around environmental justice issues. Um, especially with 787, I think that a lot of our community members kind of feel disconnected from it. Um, so we need to be able to make sure that they have the information so that they can insert themselves um, as necessary um, and make informed decisions when asked. Um, so um, that's our focus right now, um, and hopefully we can have them back throughout this um, community engagement process with 787 and get some good community input and also look at the things that we need to address while we're addressing the issues centered around 787. 
random thought. Um, would it help if, not just for this kind of project, but any large community project, if there was some kind of plebiscite, a vote, of stakeholders, and obviously the closer you live to it, probably the more your vote could be weighted, would that be a good tool for engagement and participation, especially when you're voting not just on a yes or no on a final plan, but for a multiple choice? I mean, voting, people that we want to vote and participate and give input are not voting, period, in any other situation. Sure, um, but those are more abstract plebiscites, right? They're not for actual like, plan. Sometimes. Um, I think that I know that we have to really focus on new strategies to engage and, you know, insert information, especially after COVID-19. Um, it taught us a lot. Um, our whole world changed. Um, so we have to do things differently. And at the same time, the population's you know, that I serve, which are all populations, to be honest, but I, I, I definitely prioritize, you know, mar marginalized communities and populations within the city of Albany, and capital region in New York State, whatever. The thing is that we really have to address the systemic issues that are in our community. And we're at a point, we're definitely at a point right now that is very imperative that we have um, like a multi-prong approach to how we're going to address these things. Um, we have to work on community engagement. We have to look at healing and trauma within our communities. We have to make sure our workforce um, development um, area is up to part. People are being connected and our built infrastructure. A lot of things have been falling apart for a long time. And right now, I really believe that it's just very imperative that we come together and within our differences and we figure out some strategies that are going to address 787, that are going to address environmental justice, that are going to address our air quality, is going to address gun violence in our community, domestic violence, and all the other many things that are going on. Um, instead of looking at them as single issues to solve one, one at a time. So that's a, that's a long list of the issues. What would you, and this is for both of you, what would you like to see happen with, I mean, yes, I'm asking you as individuals, uh, I suppose, first. And then, because then what would you like, because you've answered the question, what would you like to see about the, with the process? Mm -hmm. That it be collaborative. Um, I think we're in agreement on that that we want, make people involved in possible, and thus, and thus you just laid out the challenges of that. Um, what would you actually like to see happen with 787? I would like to see the community make the choice. <laughs> That's what I would like to see. I don't think that an individual can really have a say. Um, and as a community advocate, I try to make sure that our community's voices are heard, and they're not being heard. So how's that done? Is it done with a campaign of canvassing and surveying, or does it happen at a meet, at a meeting where a decision is made with, with, a, the, um, with the loudest people or the most active people? What, how does that happen? 
in my perspective, it happens with an intentional approach to um, reverse the effects of systemic racism and white supremacy in our communities. It has to happen within our government entities, our service organizations, you know, within our community members. We have to, as a people, figure out what that looks like. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has, um, everybody has, you know, a certain view. But it's going to take us to come together and work it out. What that looks like, I can't tell you because I don't think it's really happened here. What I would like to see is community members at the table and people who are elective officials and in certain positions to just really put the community first and don't insert the community when it's time for them just to approve their design plan. The community needs to participate. Or because some law says that you have to do X, show that you have community participation. Yeah. But even if the law, the law says it for a reason, because it's important for you to engage the community, what people do is they check the boxes and they, they, you know, um, shoot, sometimes people call me cause I'm a black person, you know, Oh, I spoke to Eva. So it's all right. No, you need to speak to the community. Um, you need to figure out and strategize what that looks like. Um, because we say marginalized communities, but that's broken down you know, into our senior population, our youth, um, our, you know, population that suffers from mental health. Um, so allow me to ask a follow-up. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a question I asked already to the other two guests. No um, how do you, what's your take on the tension or the relationship between expertise, whether it comes in the form of professionals like Scott or bureaucrats like the, the folks at DOT or, or even representative officials, which are a type of professional on the city level? Uh, and the executives who make up apparently the council of the capital district planning council uh, or transportation council and democracy, whether it be participatory or representative, which you definitely speak to participatory democracy. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that tension um, and how those two could interact, how, how they interact now, of course, which is very hierarchical and then what, uh, what your projects might be doing. So the bottom line is that all of those levels, government entities, um, executives, community level, we have to learn what it really means to collaborate. Um, we say it, we have groups, we have meetings, but we don't do the action steps. Um, everybody plays a part, regardless if we like it or not. Um, I believe our government entities, our elected officials and leaders are supposed to execute in our best interest the needs of our community members. Um, and if they're not doing that, they need to be held accountable. Because once you're elected to a position, your personal take and your personal thoughts about what should happen is not at the forefront. It should be using your skill sets and your resources to make sure that you address the direct needs of the community members that you serve, the business owners that you serve, the homeowners that you serve, our homeless that you serve, our drug addicts that you serve, and so on and so forth. Um, so really, we have to sit back and learn how to work collectively together um, because we're all needed regardless if it's executive 
at like myself running a nonprofit organization or um, elected official, a legislator or a common council member. Uh, we all have our positions that we need to play and we need to learn how to do that, you know, nicely. Okay, so in our closing minutes, I'll give another about a minute and a half, two minutes to the each of you to kind of close up, uh, say your what hats you wear and, and promote your uh, organization. Ah. Go first, Scott, since... Uh, I'll go. i, I, I got to leave. we got to end on Eva, that's for sure. So. <laughs> well, she just talked for a bit. No, no. And... and uh, I, I'm I'm Scott Townsend, and quite frankly, that's irrelevant. Um, you know, Eva put it the best. That uh, I, I just want to make a note that I I was certainly at the uh, first meeting at the Times or MVP Arena. <laughs> um, the Arena I'm just, shows how long I've been around. Uh, so the MVP, and I I was there, and I the just Nick. want, and I just want. No, I'm not. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, I just want to say, and this is important to note, and it was true because there was other people from the collaborative there, uh, we didn't put notes down. I didn't put any notes down. That, that's not what I'm there for. I, I am there to, I personally and the collaborative are to be conduits and to be that information, to be at the table, not necessarily to drive what the decisions are because we don't want that, but to actually connect, and we had a whole analysis of trees you weren't here for. So we're, we're the trunk of the tree that's connecting the roots of the community to the, the canopy up top. So so I'm, I'm sorry we're in the last minute. So Eva, just uh, 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. So my name is Eva Bass. I'm the executive director of the Village, Inc., um, the executive director and president for Bridge the Gap Resource and Outreach. And I am the president of the Albany Detroit Lions Club. Um, and regardless of what hat I wear, I'm here to address systemic issues, make sure we uplift our marginalized community members and make sure we create justice and, you know, dismantle systemic racism and white supremacy in our communities. Brilliant. So that's this week's show. Please contact me and leave feedback, suggest topics, or join me on the program. Use my socials at fa on Facebook, Twitter, or in and Mastodon at What's Left in Albany slash Three Left Show. Instagram at Dan J. Platt, P-L-A-A-T. And check out www.3lefts.news, which contains show notes and the archive of all episodes for both programs. Three Left Show is my leftist theory show where I discuss strategies, practice of a left for itself, and all the things Eva just said. So I want to wish you all well and encourage all listening to devote some time every week to a collective or community project as we discover what is actually left in Albany. Mm -hmm.